Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Louis Fialo, Vice President at China Telecom Americas. As you will hear, Louis has been with China Telecom Americas almost since the beginning and has had the opportunity to drive their growth in the region and has had a front row seat to the many changes that have come to the Latin American telecom market. Our focus in this episode was largely Latin America in terms of its network and cloud developments. Uh, so I also had my colleague, Peter Wood, who is our senior analyst covering Latin America, join to shore up my sometimes dated knowledge of the market that I used to cover for telegeography. So we start out with just some history of networks in the region, back to the days of even intra-South American traffic tromboning to Miami and back, uh, then through the many developments that we've seen in recent years that have really changed the game for telecoms in the region. We talk about the idea of connecting some of the developing markets around the world directly together without passing through the U.S. or Western Europe, as well as just generally the economic connections between, say, East Asia and Latin America. And finally, we get into cloud development in the region and what he sees as the important areas to develop in the Latin telecom market in the coming years. So Lewis was a great guest and went into a lot of directions that I didn't expect, but were uh, really fun to talk about. So I think you will enjoy. Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Um, as a matter of fact, I um, uh, when you know it's the good thing about working at the same place a long time, and I can search ancient emails. And I, uh, I looked back, and I first uh, exchanged some emails with you about meeting up at a capacity LATAM in uh, 2011. So, so it's it's wow, yeah, it's it's been a long, long time huh? since we talked because I I am no longer our Latin American analyst, which is why I also have my. My colleague Peter Wood, um, who has uh, been covering that region for us um, for a long time, so I thought I would invite Peter on as well to to get us some local knowledge. So welcome, Peter. Glad to be here. Thanks, you both. All right, and um, Lewis, you know the way I usually like to start the show is to just have you introduce yourself rather than me reading through a bio or something. Just tell us a little bit about your background and and how you came to be uh, vice president of China Telecom Americas. Uh, thanks for having me and on behalf of the company. I appreciate the opportunity to be here to speak with you guys and as well as, um, you know, your audience today. So, you know, I've been in the telecom industry for over 25 years. The majority of it's been at China Telecom Americas. Um, and I joined the company when I was, I was employee number 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. And actually, if you think about it, sometimes I think about I was like probably employee number 12 for their international division too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, this was in 2004 when uh, China Telecom was just starting to expand internationally. Right. And I helped build a company today that we'll talk a little bit more about, but it's essentially uh, uh, in the Americas region, the largest Chinese telecom operator. Mm -hmm. Um, and we built a lot of infrastructure to connect the world together and obviously connect to our parent company's resources that connects the world. Right. But for the most of my life, it's been companies like Sprint, uh, Cable and Wireless, IBM. Uh, I did a couple of startups, mm -hmm. uh, one of them Applied Theory that we, I was on the management team that took it public. So I've done from everything from international broadband services to uh, voice services to uh, data center services, and uh, I put it all together at China Telecom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is really uh, a, a great background for for what we're talking about, which is the sort of development of cloud and, and network in the Latin American region specifically. Um, and and indeed, like like I was kind of mentioning in, in the intro, I, I used to be our Latin American analyst. This is now a long time ago. Why I have Peter on, but yeah, you know, you clearly have this history going way back into the development of of telecoms in Latin America um, from that perspective of being a carrier, building out a lot of that infrastructure and trying to connect with everyone else, I think in that region has long been a challenge. I wonder if we could kind of start out thinking back over the previous decade or so and just get your impression of how uh, connectivity uh, networks and cloud have developed in the region. 
I recall long ago when when things were still very much in a trombone back to Miami Napa the America situation. Those days are long behind us, I hope. But yeah, what's your perspective on kind of how things have developed for South America and Latin America in general over the last uh, 10 years or so? Yeah, Greg, you, you, you started off by appropriately describing what happened yeah. 10 years ago. You know, uh, Miami, the, the Napa, the Americas, actually, was the hub for Latin America. Mm-hmm. So the all internet traffic, I remember we, we looked at an acquisition back in 2015 in Brazil and uh, all the international traffic or most of their internet traffic for Brazil for a very large provider uh, was routed back up to Miami. Yeah, yeah. That was surprising because I was like, you know, where's the content that exists locally mm-hmm. and it didn't, right. you know, the reality is, but what has happened is, has been a complete transformation of the, of the region. Um, it still lacks behind in the adoption of early innovation or new technologies, mm-hmm. but it's doing a better job of keeping up. So if you think about it, in the last couple of years, the amount of data centers that now exist in Brazil has grown uh, significantly. I believe there's about uh, approximately 17 data center wow. operators today. Okay. I remember when there was two mm-hmm. that were really prominent, right? Maybe there was three or four, but at the end of the time, uh, with 40 facilities right. in Brazil. And that's just continuing to grow, right? And that tells you one thing, right? That there's more localized content. So as a result of that, you start to see the less dependency of routing traffic to um, the U.S. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you've seen the uh, American or U.S. and international OTTs invest in, in Latin America. Right. They actually, before, you know, they were okay, using caching technology and stuff like that. But now they actually have nodes in the region mm-hmm. and in the countries, um, which is also important because if you think of like a country like Brazil, I think it's Facebook is the second largest market for them. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, you can't go do anything in Brazil without what's up. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an app that is like uh, prevalent in your day-to-day business, even outside of, you know, uh, a business enterprise, you know, consumers use it, everything is being done on WhatsApp. Um, so you've seen a lot of those changes. You've seen the market continue to grow. Um, you know, it's a $40 billion market estimated to be by 2028, right? So it's a pretty mm-hmm. large market. And in the last couple of years, it's been growing faster than the U.S. at right. 6%, right? So you're starting to see a market that's catching up. Okay, as far as investments, you're starting to see market that's strengthening. What what I'm also uh, pleased to see that has happened over the last couple of years is the investment in the sort of strengthening of the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that is that uh, you're starting to see more fiber to the home investments. You're starting to see more consolidation. You went through a period of consolidation, particularly the ISP market in Brazil. But what that did in the last couple of years is strengthen, create stronger players. Mm, right. So they have the capital to build out and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also foreign investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, private equity has been pretty active in Latin America. Yeah. Uh, you know, they still don't look at it as the starting point, but they see it as a necessity as part of their global infrastructure, right. which brings a lot of benefit. So as a result of all those investments on the infrastructure side, you're starting to see new companies emerge, right. Right? companies, you know, uh, that are involved in the food delivery business, uh, companies that are local, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. one of them, right. I think it's a company called Rappi, which is out of Colombia, you know, is, uh, is, it's doing a phenomenal job of growing inside the region. Um, you're also starting to see governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always, they always, governments always talk, tout, you know, hey, I need to get more people on the internet. It's the digital economy right. and everything else. Like that. But if you look at uh, Colombia, you know, uh, in 2000, around that time, there was about 2 million people connected mm-hmm. to the internet. Today, there, there's over 35 million right. people connected to the internet. Okay. That's a substantial growth. Okay. And that's been, that only happens with the government's push. Right. 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 And that's just one example. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I, you know, the whole digital transformation concept is, is starting to take place in Latin America. Right. Uh, as a result of that, I think it's uh, tremendous opportunities for investment. Um, and, you know, and there's new technologies being developed inside the region 
that will be deployed around the world, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, For the first time, you're starting to see companies grow up and think, you know, hey, I need to do something, but I can't just do it in my country or in in the region. I got to get to Asia. I got to get to the U.S. I got to get to Europe. So we'll see how it plays out. But overall, I think it's great for the economy, great for employment, great for the people down there. Um, It helps out. Yeah, no, those are great points. A couple that I, I want to put some pins in. One, Peter, I'm going to rely on you here. Peter and I both have geography backgrounds, but he is is definitely the um, South America expert here. A lot of Westerners don't realize the the population levels of South America in general, but Brazil in particular. Brazil is what the fourth or fifth most populous country in the world now, Peter? What is it? Something like that. It's like top six. I mean, it's yeah. U.S. like 330 million. Brazil a little over 200 million. It's a lot of people. Yeah, so you have you know you have a, a, a huge population. The region is bigger than North America. Yeah. So yeah. You take out, it depends where you count uh, Mexico, right? Right. Uh, but uh, but South America proper is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you have this developing population, and I think you brought up a really interesting point. We we did a show um, with a mobile operator in, in Africa who was talking about, you know, all this like sort of potential of young people who are really eager to get online and, and that they've been coming up with some of their own startups that, that they have then exported to other markets because in a market like say Brazil or South Africa, you might be solving problems that we don't have in some other places in the, in the West as much, or, or have, you know, sort of startups going after those problems. So you create these technologies that, that are, um, you know, uh, expandable, exportable around the world um, for a lot of those different countries that someone in, in the Western Europe kind of North America market might not have ever sort of come up with. Right. So, so getting all of these people online, I think to your point um, is, is great for the world, right? To, to get um, the, that uh, expertise and, and knowledge and, and kind of startup energy going in these countries, they can, they can come up with, with digital transformation kind of solutions um, that, that our companies aren't necessarily going to be focused on, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, if you think about them, they, they, their challenges or what, not the, uh, the opportunity is that they have similarities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Exactly. Okay, these countries are still developing countries. You can, t- you can incl- even include uh, Brazil in there, right? You take out of Sao Paulo uh, from Brazil, you know, the rest of the country is still uh, very much an emerging market. Right. right. So they have similarities. They don't have the same infrastructure, the same access to capital, Mm -hmm. the same uh, intellectual capital that maybe the U.S. would have. Right. right, From experience. So there's a lot of uh, similarities. And what I've seen is that they're taking advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Right. They're going after the the younger generation of buyers, people that grew up with a cell phone. Right. Who rather than be on a cell phone to buy something than to talk to somebody on a phone. Right. Right. All right. That's that's sort of the old school way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they don't know. They don't want to do it that way. They want to be able to figure it out. I mentioned what's up being a very prominent technology right. in the region. You know, everything you go on and you have a, a, a QR code and you just hit there and it gets you to a WhatsApp page or a link, a telephone number. And you're conducting commerce. Okay, you're communicating. You're solving your problems. You're communicating with the enterprise. Um, uh, so they they've done a great job of building that ecosystem mm-hmm. and targeting you know that market in the way it's supposed to be targeted because you know maybe you don't have as many home computers right. or maybe right. you know so you take advantage of your wireless or that wireline broadband infrastructure to get to to home computers so you're you're in a mobile first kind of environment in a way that, that we don't have you know yeah exactly so you know i think it, i think it's uh it's a region that over the last 10 years uh, has done a great job of you know sort of uh, building its own identity in the global marketplace yeah yeah absolutely so, so in that line, uh, Peter, I'm going to leave this question to you, but uh, be, because I have been out of the um, you know sub cable market to uh, to Latim for for too long, but uh, I wanted to bring up the the kind of bricks concept. Um, if you could flesh that out, maybe Peter into a real question. But since I'm just bringing up an, an sort of inchoate concept, but um, yeah, kind of linking these alternative developing kind of markets, uh, and and is that out, idea still out there, Peter? Yeah, and I'll even add on to that a bit. So, I mean, even this conversation already we've talked about you know, the obvious historical importance of connectivity from Latin America to the U.S., especially Sao Paulo to Miami, elsewhere to Miami. Uh, 
there's other cables that of course connect to the regions now, but there's like, I think periodically recycle talk of something connecting the BRICS countries, which the definition of BRICS countries may be changing as we speak. They had met last week, I think, for the annual summit. But regardless, it's kind of global south. It, would it be Bix per chance? Is 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 the R the problem there? No, yeah. no, no. Actually, they're going to add more countries. So okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, yeah. yeah. Adding like five countries in the Gulf region, but that's uh, going to be unpronounceable, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. we'll be good yeah. But I mean that, as well as just connectivity within Latin America, like from Brazil across the Andes to Chile, Brazil up to, or just different parts of Brazil, like Fortaleza to Rio and Sao Paulo, or elsewhere in Latin America. Is there demand? Is there interest? What factors really come into play to kind of decide if the future of international connectivity is going to continue to diversify the ways it has? You guys bring up a tough question yeah. right, about BRICS. Um, you know, so... You know, the concept of BRICS has been around for a while, you know. It's probably been about close to 10 years. I was going to say, I remember it being talked about when I was still going to conferences. Yeah, yeah. Not, Maybe so. you started the conversation. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but the reality of the matter is it's it's a very long cable, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do something like that, you're going to invest on it to reduce costs, okay, because you have the other ways to get there, right? And you improve latency, which is the biggest problem all these countries connecting to them. And then there's got to be some economic value right. that drives it all together, right? Um, you know, the amount of, uh, of growth between Latin America and the APEC region is, is growing, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The last three years, you've seen a 21% growth, yeah. right? But, uh, and I'll give you another data point, you know, in Brazil, um, today, there's over 300 uh, Chinese enterprises, um, big Chinese enterprises that operate in Brazil. Okay, mm-hmm. and there's about 60 plus that are now operate in uh, China. Okay, uh, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, maybe you have like 10 to 20 right. Chinese enterprises. Maybe you have like five uh, Brazilian big large companies that were there, mm-hmm. but that's changed. Okay. And, and great for China doing, telecom Americas, I reckon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we're there, yeah. Um, yeah. but I'll, I'll talk about that, our, our, our whole history a little bit, sure. but the reality is, is that, um, you know, the amount of bilateral trade is also growing. Mm-hmm. There's more dependency on, inform- uh, on, on, uh, doing commerce together, uh, outside of the digital world. Uh, you know, on uh, exports and imports are very important. So I think uh, I think we still have a long hurdle to overcome mm-hmm. as an industry to build the BRICS cable. But it's still something that in the future may have, uh, you know, legs. You know, we've seen a cable, SACS, which goes from uh, Fortaleza, Brazil, to Angola, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, it's 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 doing okay, but it's not doing as much as it needs to be doing to continue to uh, see comparable investments, right. and especially on cable. So I think BRICS has a better chance with government sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Right. They, SACS had a government sponsorship, right? I, I, as I recall, it yeah, wouldn't have yeah, it was. That. Yeah, it was definitely very much a government sponsorship. So in order for it to pick up and have. Uh, you know, it would have to like require some of that because it's it's a it's a big investment. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the additional of the other countries that are potentially joining BRICS, um, I, I think it'll just make it more complicated. Mm-hmm. I think if they just focus on the BRICS cable, uh, if you think about it, right? So you're talking about China and India and the Asia Pac region. You're talking about Russia, not too far from China, right? Right above. Uh, you're talking about um, Brazil. And in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm. So those are those are markets that you know we'll we'll need to see more trade, economic, you know, commerce happening outside of the digital world or inside the digital world right. that will you know propagate the need to have better communications mm-hmm. uh, because the alternative is you, you still have other choices. Right. Uh, maybe they don't want to follow those patterns of the communications needs, but a lot of governments, especially in Latin America, we've been in discussions with especially in the uh, Western part of South America are interested. And you can also see a little bit of what has happened with Chile, right? They go to Australia, then it goes up to Asia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but they're, you know, they're, it's, it requires a lot of heavy lifting from the governments in my perspective. Yeah. I don't know how you, I wanted to kind of, I mean, you just 
asked what I, or you mentioned what I was about to ask, which is the Humboldt cable and the kind of change in circumstances of potentially crossing from South America across the Pacific. How does that factor into, I mean, is that some of the peaks are interest at China Telecom Americas? Is there more that needs to be done to make it so that one, that project can kind of develop further? And then from your perspective, for, that it could be a project that could contribute to goals of yours? You know, uh, uh, you know, we're the American uh, subsidiary of China Telecom Corporation. So all our majority of our investments are all our investments are driven by commercial investment proposals. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, we I don't see an opportunity right now. Um, because I, I can definitely raise the use the capital, ask my parent company to give me the money and build one, right? And I can go get partners and build one. But the, the reality is I got to make money out of it, mm. okay? Uh, the ROI, I, I don't think it's there at this point. Um, I think as you see, if you ask me the question five years from now, and maybe definitely 10 years from now, I think I'll give you a different answer mm -hmm. and say, yeah, good. Do it. So the question that always comes to companies like ours is you know when do you want to make that investment when do you start because you know you can't turn on a, a cable system a new cable system in you know in a week especially over that span days. that's that's going to be uh, no, yeah um you know and uh so we have to look at it you know from a pragmatic uh business perspective you know is it, is it worth the investment or do i put my money in other things you know the region is still behind in many other areas so you know i think um and what, we're, what I hope that happens for the region is there's more interconnection within the region as opposed to just going outside the region, because that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's more commerce happening on a traditional standpoint between countries in the region for the first time. Um, you know, they're depending on each other more, which is great for the region. I don't know. Do you see it that way as well? Or? Yeah, you're kind of answering, I think, this question we're about to ask, but to kind of extend it a bit. Like you said... Five, five, maybe 10 years from now that your answer to is a Trans-Pacific, South America to Asia-ish cable, uh, a legitimate investment or a use, useful investment. What during that period of time might change? I mean, historically, what have you seen that makes that decision easier? And looking forward, is that the same or the different circumstances arising? Give us a little prediction without too much. Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest the biggest change you'll see is the amount of investment. But what I'm talking about is uh, uh, foreign direct investment by you know Chinese enterprises into the region, as well as and you're seeing a large number of influx of Chinese enterprises into the whole uh, Latin American marketplace. Right, it's not only Brazil, but you're seeing it in places like Mexico. You're seeing it in places like Argentina. Um, so as these companies go and build, you know, uh, their enterprises there, they obviously see economic value and, and, you know, an ROI that's positive for them to do so. Um, you know, sustaining that business model and then what it will do is it'll create an opportunity for the local companies to collaborate, build. And then they also want to cooperate and build inside of the Asian region for their customers, right? So it's a two-way street, but that takes time. Um, the fact that you, there was a, a Brazil, China, I forget the name of the conference, but I think it was like a commerce meeting that took place in March. There was 500 enterprises from both sides of the world, I mean, both sides of the countries, um, as well as government uh, agencies attending this meeting, right? And the overall feedback from that was positive. Uh, there was a lot of bilateral trade uh, concessions made and signed. Uh, now they're going through the process of starting to execute those things. Um, you're you're going to see more collaboration between these companies that that participated and other companies that didn't participate that want to join in. So for us, I think you know uh, the Brazil, uh, China, Asia uh, cable segment of the cable is very prominent. Is very uh, more likely than. Uh, than seeing a uh, the whole BRICS cable, because you know you have to be able to do business with these other parts of the world, or else it's not a feasible investment. And just to add one more question, this is a bit of a sensitive question too, so I answer it however you want. But when it comes to these kind, both specifically in telecom and more generally in commerce, when it involves South American countries or just Brazil in particular, and we we'll focus on them and the Chinese government. 
the geopolitical climate is often something that really can dictate what types of conversations are happening and in what context. Is that something like how, to what degree do you think that those kinds of discussions can transcend what's happening, for example, at the federal political level in Brazil, which can often shape how much investment, at least publicly, will be kind of courted in order to further those goals for intercontinental connectivity, for example? Um, I, I can tell you my perspective is that the Lula administration is very uh, focused on building a relationship with China that to the extent that it's never done before. Okay, they have opened up the market and encouraging uh, cooperation, you know, with local Brazilian companies. Um, they they do view as a good partner. So there will be continued investment between those parts of the region. Um, you know, uh, as far as any other, uh, you know, countries getting involved in discussions and trying to mitigate those, you know, you know, there's always going to be some tension, uh, but there's, you know, my view that, you know, the Lula administration has actually shown, you know, he, he's just became president and was able to put together in 30 days, I mean, it's 90 days, a big meeting that took place, right? Uh, the largest meeting in the in gathering, okay, um, the, the number of Chinese enterprises that moved into Brazil uh, at the end of this year, we'll probably see, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see another 50 to hundred companies that have gone in. Okay. Um, you know, obviously Chinese enterprises are looking places to invest and to grow. Um, you know, so I think that's a positive. I, and, and more importantly, I think it's good for both countries. I think um, if, uh, you know, Brazil is a natural resource, you know, Haven, right? It's it's got a lot of stuff going on there, and and you know China knows how to, you know, given its own history, you know how to uh, manage it better, and to a certain extent, right? With smart city technology mm -hmm. investments in that kind of area, so I think that's going to help, you know, not only Brazil, but that can also, you know, uh, spill over into other Latin American countries, which would then benefit uh, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that brings me to, to something that I, I wanted to get to, which is a little bit more, Lewis, on, on the sort of development since you've been along the ride most of that time of China Telecom Americas was was the initial idea of, of developing a sort of America's focused company out of China Telecom to serve Chinese enterprises that had interest in those markets. Um, and, and how has that kind of mission maybe changed over time? Yeah, so that's a great question, Greg. Um, so for us, when I first started, remember I told you I was employee number two. Yeah. I said, why are you here? <laughs> okay, and the why was really based on three things. The first one is that China Telecom was coming out of being a monopoly. Right. right? So it was a monopoly company, so they wanted to compete. You know, it's sort of it's a little crazy to think that you pick the, the most competitive market in the world to learn how to compete. Right. It's uh, it, is, it was the U.S. right. The the second thing is they they needed to generate revenues outside of China, mm -hmm. right? Um, so they wanted to build you know resources around the world and start with the U.S. once again, which is a very large telecom market to generate revenues. And then the third piece, which is probably the most uh, critical to the success of China Telecom's global aspirations, was to uh, educate people. Um, the concept of, you know, competing, mm -hmm. you know, it's a different mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, our company, majority of our employees were, at the time were like 70 or 70% were engineers. Right. Right. Well, we needed to hire business sales yeah. people. Yeah. We needed to hire business people. Yeah. We needed to look at things a little bit different and which really is uh, probably the main reason I've been at this company for as long as I have, you mm -hmm. know, I, uh, you know, there's, it was never uh, a dull moment. It was always learning and you're learning as a, as a country, the size of China is emerging into the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you're, you, you have a tremendous opportunity to do things, you know, and for us, you know, it was, it's been great because, you know, like I mentioned, we're the largest now and we've been the largest. We were the first ones to, you know, put our, uh, our toes in the U S mm -hmm. and the Americas. Um, you know, but that also expanded into our Brazil operations. 
in Brazil, you know, we started in, we started in 2011. In 2000, in the first couple of years, we, we, we set up a representative office, which means it's like, let's figure out what we're going to do. Right. Uh, by 2015, we started generating revenues. Mm-hmm. And at that point, what we realized is that there was very limited number of Chinese enterprises to go after, okay, right. or support, right? So what we did is see is there was a, a void in the marketplace for a comp- an international operator like us to help uh, tier two, tier three ISPs. Mm-hmm. There was about 7,000 ISPs. Now there's over 9,000 ISPs in Brazil, okay? And uh, what we did is we built a network, a local network, um, to sell to help sell transit services. So basically, like and, middle mile for for the eyeballs uh, companies uh, in in South America. Mostly, no. In, in Brazil, we were we we're an ISP transit provider, leveraging our international. Oh, so, so backbone, basically, then really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So gotcha. that's what we did, and you know, today we have thirteen pops in four states, mm-hmm. uh, predominantly in the southern parts of Brazil. And, you know, our strategy is to continue to invest, but our strategy is changing. It's our strategy now, because we're seeing the influx of Chinese enterprise mm-hmm. and, the, and the outbound uh, from Brazilian companies, we're starting to invest in new technologies. So earlier this year, we announced um, our e-cloud infrastructure being deployed in Brazil. Okay. And that's sort of a platform that our parent company built and makes us, I think, the third largest uh, cloud provider mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. So we're not competing with the other traditional cloud providers. What we are doing is giving using our infrastructure to get you better access through our underlay network to China and Asia. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we feel that we have a better, more, uh, you know, stronger infrastructure to be able to support that communications. And then once you're in China, we also can give you the capabilities that you need to deploy your cloud infrastructure requirements and stuff. Um, so for us, that's been a very important need. Um, we're looking at data center space now. Um, we're, we're considering that. That's a possibility in the horizon for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we do believe there will be a greater demand for data center and in particular, what, I, what we would call like, you know, smaller, more agile edge data centers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Um, so when then, you say you that, know, you mean uh, getting into so building your own, um, not just, you know, getting into neutral facilities or whatever, but, uh, you know, it likes. Yeah, being, we definitely yeah. Were, we're, cons- we're, we're currently in neutral facilities, mm-hmm. but we're definitely considering possibly even getting into our own. Mm-hmm. Right. We think we have a, a customer base of the Chinese enterprises that we can serve you know, uh, like what we do in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, at the same time, you know, it comes down to return on investment. Right. So the return on investment shows that, hey, we could just take, you know, space at, or expand our space in certain locations, then we'll do that. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, it's it's to support, continue to support our, the demand for enterprise business is our focus, mm-hmm. all right? We, we love our ISP customers and it's grown and we have a large number of them, uh, you know, but that's a, that's a market that where IP prices, when we joined, we started, I think it was like in, you know, close to 18 reais per meg. Right, right. Now you look at like, it may be under, you know, you can get it uh, for like a 500, maybe four, four reais per meg, mm-hmm. okay, under a dollar. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've so, had to shift the uh, the the decimal points on our IP transit pricing around the world uh, in the last. You know, I I'm uh, old, so I remember when it was you know dollars per meg even in in the developed markets, but now it's uh, fractions of cents in some cases. So, yeah, yeah. No, but the good news is that the amount when we first started, our, our average customers bond between five hundred megs to a gig. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's nothing we sell under three gigs now right. for the tier, tier three. So these are smaller uh, ISPs, right. but that's driven because their consumers, their users, are doing video, downloading data, video, you know, whatever it is. It's consum- consumption has gone up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you had to make the investment. You know, as an industry, they had to make the investments to strengthen their capabilities 
to, uh, you know, which is good for everybody, um, you know, because the amount of outages that used to happen was a regular occurrence. I know right. For me, you know, a guy who did a lot of business in the U.S. and in Europe and in Asia, I was like, you know, that's crazy. He's not used to that. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it was it was a different world. But I, I think Latin America is now situated in the place where you can start seeing a lot more of these investments, you know, um, in the in the, fourth, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned data. I mean, we've heard this too. Data center investment is very hot in Brazil, in specific Brazilian markets, in Latin America in general. But it's not hot everywhere. Uh, like, what? How does that kind of assessment of where the select markets where it makes sense to try to expand into are, and where there's more hesitancy in terms of just getting more involved? I, I think every country in Latin America has some type of a of a base of data center capabilities. Um, and you've seen that through the investments of new startups or companies that have changed their business models to get into the data center business that brought in money from Europe, brought in money from the US, or the acquisitions of large uh, data center providers uh, from the West that is invested in bought local companies. Um, what, I, what I think you're you're asking me is well, like where where are the hot spots right i think you know obviously brazil and sao paulo continues to be a hot spot i think you know one of the areas that needs to be developed even further is porto alegre mm-hmm. um, a place like curitiba uh we've seen some investments in the areas of fortaleza but predominantly is for landing station purposes mm-hmm. but i think it, it, that's northern part of brazil um, you know, we'll, you'll see more and more investments in that area. So you'll have more need for data center outside of Brazil. You know, Mexico Quirotiro is like is, is a booming market, right? It's uh, Mexico itself. I, I, I haven't been able to keep up with how many data centers they have, but they have a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see pockets of uh, strong data center investments um, like in Colombia. Um, uh, you even see it a little bit in Argentina and Chile. Uh, you know, not the same magnitude, but their markets are different, mm-hmm. right? They just don't have, you know, either you have some, uh, you know, challenges with, with the economy or, you know, some who's going to buy it. And then the other ones are, it's just a smaller market. Uh, but I think you, you're going to see more and more investments, uh, but not of the, you know, like the size of uh, like Equinex makes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, not that it's not that size. I think, it's not a necessity, right? And also the power consumption is an issue. Um, you know, where do you get it? And, you know, and how do you make sure that it's always available? Um, a lot of the U.S. OTTs are continuing to invest in the region for data centers. Mm-hmm. And they're also investing in, in, the, in the subsea cables that connect these data centers. So I, I think uh, uh, the data center market um, will still continue to grow. Uh, I know the cloud market, uh, you know, I read a report a couple of days ago it's supposed to double by the year 2028, like from 5 billion to uh, uh, 10 billion, and then reach gets close to about 20 billion uh, in the next five years, uh, eight years. So I think you need to, you're going to see a lot of that stuff. And it's also going to be driven by new technologies. You know, I think uh, IoT mm-hmm. is like prime for a uh, Latin American market, right? You know, if, if um, you know, the, if everything is, you know, has a sensor of everything has data that's generating. Not only do you need the capability to capture that information, but you need the ability to be able to analyze that information. Okay. And uh, so I think that's going to propagate a lot more, uh, you know, data center space requirements and on the edge specifically right because that's where you know it's it's you don't need like you said that that big equinix kind of scale or the hyperscalers but you just need some compute pretty close to these devices so that they can do whatever they're supposed to do right so yeah yeah no i think that's you know and i think as an industry we're still grappling what's the right size or what is it going to look like and stuff. Or what I is an edge data center that, that I've, I've been trying to pin that down with various people over the, the past couple of years. And it's hard. Right? So, that, no, it yeah. is. It is. You know, um, um, you know, so I think also you're going to see the continued investment in the tower business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mac. And, um, yeah. Which mm-hmm. will 
Yeah, which will be important. Um, and maybe that's the edge. <laughs> you know, right. I don't know. But, um, and then and finally, you know, um, as countries start um, introducing or allowing 5G mm-hmm. into their country, right? Right now, it's, you know, it's pretty much limited, right? I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Brazil and Peru or Chile. I can't remember one other country that's given out licenses, right? You know, with 5G, you start opening up a new world, right? right? The, that new world is the uh, bringing together, you know, not only speed and reliability that 5G gives you, but the ability to capture a lot of information quickly, right. to do things autonomously, to be able to even introduce and utilize um, uh, AI, machine learning technology, mm-hmm. and take it away from just the manufacturing centers, but to be able to do it in a day-to-day operations and in our ways that we live today. Um, so that puts a lot of pressure on data management, data controls, uh, and where do you keep it and how it's stored and, you know, and the relevancy between different locations. So I think you're, that's going to drive a lot more investment uh, uh, for the region. And I think, um, you know, I think that's a positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like to point out to, to you know, people in the in the carrier world that obviously like 5G development is great for wireline providers because 5G requires a pretty uh, intense tower density compared to LTE that need lots of fiber to all those towers, right? So um, there's going to be a lot of, of digging going on still, even if even if we go to 5G being one of the principal kind of last mile connections. You know? Yeah, no, I think I, I think in the future, a lot of that will start switching, right? Because if you think about right now, the the reliability and the performance is on the, in the cables that are underground, mm-hmm. right? But sooner uh, than later, you're going to see the there's going to be a similar level of reliability and even greater speed mm-hmm. in the wireless world, right? So it uh, puts less pressure and less necessity to do uh, underground cables, right? Uh, but I think it's, it's all like, you know, uh, things that keep us up at night, but it gives us an opportunity <laughs> to figure out what to do next, right? Yeah. Uh, and then for, and I'm bullish on the fact that all these things are starting to come into play in Latin America. Right. So for the that part of the world, uh, you know, because then that creates different things, right? That creates things being done through electronic commerce, mm-hmm. uh, education being done through you know, uh, the internet, right? Um, information sharing, e-government initiatives. It just opens up a whole new world that, um, you know, which is really our future, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we need to build all this ecosystem to en- enable this communication to take place. It, you know, that's a really good point. One that they oft- often bring up on the show, which is that for, for a long time, network has been something that needs to be there. And then, you know, everyone from ISPs to enterprises use the network. It's, it's a cost that you have, but we're really getting to a point where network is going to be the business enabler, right? That, that digital transformation means that, that your network and, and how you have engineered the network and all of those and, and the technologies you're able to, to layer on top of it, even if it's OTT um, are the driving factor rather than just a, a cost that you have to have in place as a kind of infrastructure, you know? Absolutely, Greg. I I think if you think about the, at least my experience with our customers and stuff, um, they don't necessarily look at things as saying, you know, um, let me buy a a point to point connection between two locations. They're saying, I just need to get access to your SD-WAN service. I need to be interconnected to these locations. And, you know, sometimes I need to be able to have management capabilities to be able to manage these resources and pay you when I'm using it as opposed to just having something that's idle, you know, uh, investments that are there, you know, when I'm not using it. Um, So the world, we're we're changing, right? We also used to think about everything was at the corporate uh, headquarters, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Everything is now sort of in the cloud, right? Whatever that means as far as the, the proximity. But and you know the value and where the information is being uh, generated is not in the corporate enterprise right. anymore, right? It's it's out in the edges, right? So for us, 
we we used to be able to bring everything back to one location on a hub and spoke. Mm-hmm. Now it's definitely much more uh, complicated because everything is in the cloud, and that cloud, you know, may be depending on us, right. may depend on other places. You know, that's why you know for our e surfing platform, which is our cloud platform. You know, we connect, I think it's like 144 data centers today mm-hmm. and over 80 public cloud centers, right? Right. And we had to do that. We had to do that because it's just not our cloud, right? We have to be able to access everybody else's cloud mm-hmm. and our customers need access to those clouds. Um, it also puts more pressure on the customer, too, because they have, you know, on average over two cloud providers today, right? right. Or two public cloud locations. And that's not even saying anything about whatever they use as as their um, data center or, mm-hmm. or their private cloud, but it, it's um, it's 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 changing. It's uh, our industry is changing, but I just think it continues to add more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like very much that's that's been your strategy. Really, is is um, looking at this digital transformation and how to react with with your cloud offerings and again not not just connecting your customers to maybe their hyperscaler or whatever but connecting this entire ecosystem uh you know because as i always like to say there is no cloud only other people's computers and what really matters is where are those computers and how are they connected to wires and where are they going from there right so yeah 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 peter anything else um uh, before we wrap up I mean, we're kind of touching on it, but just what are mm-hmm. you looking forward to in terms of yeah. what the clients want going forward? What do the networks need? What kinds of changes in just client demands and expectations have you been picking up in the last few months or years? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, um, um, last year we made a decision to focus on the overlay as opposed to the underlay. Mm-hmm. You would ask me this question five years ago. Or even two years ago, I would have told you that we still build underlay and we hope to be able to support customers on the overlay. And as an international uh, operator who is not an incumbent in Latin America, you know, we've decided that we're going to focus on the overlay. okay, and use our core underlay, you know, um, you know, infrastructure that we built already to be able to take information from one part of the world to the next. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to go out and lay fiber. We don't have to build cell towers. We don't have to do anything. We, we're tinkering with the idea of data center because um, we, we just can't get a partner to go build it where we want it. Right? Right. So if you, if you don't have that, you, you got to do it yourself. Um, but uh, we definitely feel that our strength in our future is really on building on the overlay things like cloud services, mm-hmm. things like a managed IoT platform. Uh, our we have a CDN network. We we feel that that's important, and and our real mission is to help customers get back to China in Asia, which we feel like we we had the largest amount of investment in that capacity to be able to enable that right. And as countries like do more and more business with China. That will generate a lot more opportunities for companies like ours to fill that need, and that's where our focus is. You know, um, you know, we used to invest heavily in cable systems and stuff. Right. We still have some initiatives, but it's not where it was five years ago. And when and when you say the, those different overlay services, are are you also looking at at channel partnerships strategically for that, or are you looking at sort of some of them being developed uh, kind of in house, as it were? I, I think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we're willing to, we're open to uh, building an ecosystem where partners we can actually uh, use their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but you know the, the reality is that you know let's take for example SD WAN. We have we're working on certain partnerships today, but it's limited because SD WAN, you know the way it's set up, it's through a central controller, and you, you who, who, how is that going to work? So some, you know, things that I think in our industry will figure it out mm-hmm. and will be much more in line to do so. Um, but like I told you, our mission is really to be able to bring, uh, communi- enable the communication that's necessary between the region we serve to back to China and Asia. Right. So some of these technologies don't exist today, so we'll deploy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll find other companies that have uh, made those investments and it makes economic sense for us to partner with them. 
then we don't have to deploy. But our future is really not to build the number of pops that we built in Brazil. Our future is to build like these edge locations, one or two in a country, and then connect those together, mm -hmm. right? And then let the communications take place. We can procure local services from the local providers. That's their strength. Right. Right. That's our yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And I, I think it is generally the way that I see networking develop that that it's it's a it's about making the network smart. It's about the services that the network can provide and being able to easily uh, utilize whoever has wires in the ground, you know, whether that's like, you know, this we could open up a whole nother um, hour long conversation about like, you know, building out APIs to all these providers and, and getting, you know, automation. We'll, we'll leave that aside, but just to bring it up that, that I mean, I think I, I definitely see um, what you're saying about, you know, kind of focusing on that, that, um, you know, uh, overlay capabilities and, and getting the, the underlay wherever you can from, from whoever you can. You know? Correct. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Lewis, this was really fascinating conversation. It actually went in a lot of directions that I that I wouldn't have thought. Just just you know, kind of generally talking about uh, development and let him. Yeah. I ho hopefully, it wasn't too spread out. And I no, no, not at all. Like I, I think that's great, actually, because you know, again, there, there are some interesting and unique things about uh, the, the Latin American market, but at the same time, there's always these lessons that can be brought around the world. Um, and, and I think increasingly we need to, again, kind of think of, uh, the development of all these markets with that more global mindset than just what's coming out of San Jose all the time, right? You know what I mean? Um, that, that sometimes the problems they're trying to solve in San Jose aren't, aren't the things that you're facing when you're operating all, all right around the rest of the world. No, and I, and I think that's the best thing to, you know, as, as we're wrapping up here to see is that you're starting to see you know, the, the localization of, of a smaller version of a San Jose mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in these countries, right? And the countries that continue to develop and enable those type of uh, ecosystem for their country, um, it'll be better. Yeah. And also the sharing of information between inside the region, it'll be stronger for the region. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Peter, closing thoughts? You look like you're about to say something there. <laughs> No, I mean, it was just fascinating. I really appreciate getting to have all this insight. Like Greg was saying, there's several different questions we could explore for far too long in each individual path. But just to like have it brought together is really fascinating. And it's something that we're continuously thinking too, because like we started our conversation, Miami basically, or connectivity to the US, to Latin America, still is important and historically has been very important for Latin America. But to continuously understand the growth and challenges to that growth for connecting to the world in other ways. It's sometimes geographically, sometimes based on technological needs, stuff like that. It's definitely relevant and will continue to be relevant almost certainly for some time. Yeah, that means we should do this again, Lewis. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No problem. You just let me know when. Yeah, meet up in, in a year or two and, and see uh, how things turned out. It'd be great to hear, um, you know, how the how the data center plans worked out and, and you know, sort of, um, well, especially, I, like I said, I'm always trying to follow up on kind of like which part of the edge is the edge and, and where is that kind of taking off. So that would be a great one to follow up on. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.